I think one of the things that make us more proud than anything is that it's our club. We're not renting it. We're not renting the property. This is our club. We've purchased it. So it has a feeling of ownership, you know. You know, can't take this away from us. This is ours. Welcome to Power of Place, Stories of the Pacific Northwest. I'm Edward Krigsman. Our last episode featured Craig Gibson, president of the North Beach Inn on Orcas Island. And Craig shared how his family acquired a 100-acre waterfront farm a century ago. He explained the lengths five generations of his family have gone to in order to continue operating an inn there, just so that the Gibson family and their guests may continue to experience this very special place. Today, we'll hear the story of another special Pacific Northwest place. It occupies property acquired by leaders within Tacoma's African-American community at the dawning of the civil rights era. And we'll learn how this venue has evolved over the years into the city's preeminent and once Black-only social club. This place is powerful in that it has counted many of Tacoma's civic leaders, its elected officials, educators, philanthropists, and business innovators among its members. And yet for many, myself included, this place is a mystery, in part because access there is reserved for members and their guests only. So today, we'll throw open the doors of a private club as its guests for a day. We'll learn how women fought and eventually won the right for membership. And we'll hear stories of how this place has uplifted its nearby community, as well as the city of Tacoma generally. So let's welcome our guest today, Tim Person, president of Ray Gibson's Caballeros Club, together with a cab's manager, Ms. Ellen Smith. Let's drive around. Hey, Tim. Hey, Ellen. It's an honor to have you both here today. Thank you for having us here. Thank you. It is truly an honor, and we're truly excited. So the cab connects and creates community within Tacoma, and um, many of your members came from different places, right? They weren't necessarily born in Tacoma. So Tim, Miss Ellen, I wanted you to take a moment, if you could, to share your journey, how you wound up in Tacoma and at the cab. Well, for myself, I came to Tacoma in 1995, May. I was a soldier at the Fort Lewis, which is now called Joint Base Lewis-McCord. After being here for several months and being in the community, I acquired friends out in the community, some here in the Hilltop area, and um, learned about the Cavaleros Club. After learning about the Cavaleros Club, intermittently going there throughout the years, um, visiting and becoming an acquaintance, or should I say associate member, because that's the first step to getting inside the club. You have to be invited by a member, so I became associate member. And um, after becoming an associate member a few times, here I am now, a member of the club, and thankful to be serving in its highest capacity as the president and CEO. Awesome. How about Miss Ellen? Well, my family is from Tacoma, and so I grew up in the hilltop Tacoma and could hardly wait till I was old enough to go to the Cavaleros Club. So I've been knowing about it for many years, and it has been a blessing to be part of this organization because it does so much work in the community, and, and that's just part of me, and I just love that. So being part of the Cavaleros Club and part of Hilltop and part of Washington State has been an honor for me. So I understand you started at the cab working there long before women were admitted as members. Yes, when I first came in, I was working up in the kitchen as one of the waitresses for the Cavaliers Club, and 
the Caballeros being one of the first black businesses with the restaurant in it, people love to come there to get food to eat. And one of the most uh, meals that they really ordered, where we would get people would call in and ask for them, us to make this for them and set it aside, was a chitlin sandwich. And I mean chitlin in between two pieces of bread. And that's what people would, <laughs> you're laughing, but that's true. People wanted, they would call and they said, I'm coming from Seattle, probably be there in about 45 minutes. Make sure you put these aside for me because we're going to get them, because that would be the first thing that would go. So you're unusual in that you really grew up in the community as a young girl. What was the reputation of the cab? You said you couldn't wait to become a yeah, member. Yeah, well, you know, you had to just speak to over 21. And at that time, women were not members, you know. So you, like uh, Tim was saying, you have to be invited by a member to be able to come in. But one of the things I like and can appreciate about the club from day one to right now is if a female was coming down to the Caballeros Club, they could feel comfortable going there knowing they're not going to be harassed or anything, and so and it today is still that same way. Why is it a safe space for women compared to other places? Well, because I guess the respect, the men there respect the women. It was just one of those places that you knew you could go and feel comfortable in. So those are the values of the club. And let's talk about that foundation of it. Who were the people that created the Cab Club? So founders of the Cab are Mr. George Strickland and Mr. Howard Woods. In the fall of 1956, they met and started to discuss having a private-based organization that could accommodate the black community. After Mr. Strickland and Mr. Woods met informally in 1956, in February of 1957, they invited some more members, some more gentlemen. So this is where Mr. Gibson came into play, some other gentlemen, and they formed their first executive board. And from there, we started rolling. And why did the founders feel that it was important to create this club? The founders felt that it was important to have this club because they could not go downtown and enjoy the civil liberties as others. You know, a lot of this is a military town. Tacoma was a military town. Mm-hmm. And you had uh, diversity in the soldiers, you know, white and black. And they, after work, they went downtown and they wanted to be able to build more camaraderie together. And when that happened, they found out that the blacks couldn't. And, you know, Mr. Woods and Mr. Strickland and some others wanted to have a place to where blacks could socialize. They couldn't even take their wives. You know, so they couldn't socialize with their wives in public. So this is how the Caballeros became what it is. Tim and Ellen, how was the Caballeros Club originally created? The current space that we're at now, Mr. Stubblefield, And Mr. Ray Gibson found a small house in 1962 on the address being 1516 South 28th Street. Those gentlemen were responsible for acquiring that site. Once that site was acquired, over the years, over the next 10 years, about 20 gentlemen stepped up who were members and mortgaged their homes in 1972. This is when it was completed. 
Um, it actually started around in 70, actually got the building started going in 71. And these gentlemen mortgaged their homes. They went home, talked to their wives. They mortgaged their home. It cost $44,000 to renovate and expand the small house, which now is our club, and added the ballroom. This bill was paid off in less than three years. Wow. And um, with that being done, we still have uh, one of the members, Mr. Volley Johnson, who's 102 years old. He also uh, was one of the members who mortgaged his home. We also have one of the widows, Miss Hattie Chris. She's now 93 years old. Her husband, Mr. Hardy Chris, was one of the members who mortgaged his home to expand the club. So did the members, did they, um, because there was this theme, you've got a hammer, I've got a saw. What does that mean and why was it used? This was from 1972, I think, when a lot of this work got really in full effect. So Mr. A.O. Bodie was the lead person on expanding the club. You got a hammer, I got a saw. So basically, these guys, these members who weren't really contractors... They basically came together with whatever they had, their hammers, their saws, and they went to work. (laughs) They went to work at really trying to, they accomplished it. They really did. You know, uh, I can only imagine what that was like. And I'm going to tell you a very, very, very special moment. Mr. A.O. Bodie still has his business car in the liquor cabinet on the wall. I was in there one day when we was putting away stock, and I'm telling you, I look in, and as soon as you walk in, so you would never see it. You would never see this because as soon as you walk in, it's right to the right, and no one looks right there because we're always stocking to the left. And one day I'm slowly doing something, and I look on the wall, and here's Mr. A.O. Bodie's business card with the construction on it. I'm, I'm really blown away because who would ever find something like that? Here it is. Mm-hmm. This is in 1970. It is 2022. This has been here since 72, probably. You know what I mean? And it's still on the wall. His business card. I was blown away. So the Caballeros Club, how did the name get started? From what I understand from the historians before me, the Caballeros is an intellectual gentleman. And as Ms. Ellen was speaking earlier about how it was a safe place for women, one of the safe things that we do still to this day that they did is escort the ladies to the car. No women walk to the car when they left the club. Even to this day, we make sure and ensure that women are escorted to their cars. But that was one of the things they really prided themselves on, making sure that the ladies got safely to their car and not being harassed. And we still do that to this day. And then who was Ray Gibson and how did his name get attached to the club? Ray Gibson, Uncle Ray. Man, Ray Gibson has chaired the club for more than 15 years. He's also been the club manager for more than 11 years. So we're talking almost 30 years of direct service. He also is responsible for morally and financially supporting the club for many years. Mr. Gibson died at the club on April 10th, 1974. Less than a week because of all the moral and financial contribution to the club, they unanimously passed. To add the words, Ray Gibson, 
in front of Caballero's Club. And they wanted to honor him by putting his name in front of the Caballero's Club because of all the work, all of his dedication. And um, even acquiring the current spot. He's responsible for acquiring the current spot that we have today. So there's a depth of gratitude owed to him constantly. And this is the first year that his face has actually been ingrained in the logo. So in the 65th year, we have taken a step to actually put his face inside of our logo in honor of his service and dedication to the club. So how has the club led? What is the organizational structure? It seems like there's a board of directors and then there's also officers. So the club is made up of an executive board, which consists of five positions, the chair and the positions two through five. Currently, in the new bylaws, they've added the recording secretary and the treasurer. And one of the reasons why that's been added is because of Miss Lola Bailey. Miss Lola Bailey is our longest-serving officer in the recording secretary position. So um, in the current bylaws, they allow the recording secretary and the treasurer to vote along with the other five members. After that, on the operations side, we have the president, which... A lot of people don't understand he serves a dual role. He's the president of the meetings, but he's also the CEO of the operation, who sets the standard operating procedure for the operation. After that, you have the vice president, treasurer, secretary, recording secretary, financial secretary, and um, the treasurer. So we asked our guests to bring an object into the studio, and I understand that rather than bringing something in, you wore it. What do you guys have on? The Cavaliers outfit for the gentleman is usually a black pants, gold cummerbund, white shirt with a black hat. Instead of wearing that today, we chose to wear our T-shirt, which has Mr. Gibson's actual face in it for the first time, and we thought that would display the unity. But um, I would like to see the men start back to wear the uniform again. I really think that adds a significance to the history and prolonging on being an intellectual gentleman. Because you don't really see us dress up in a uniform. You really see us just in our own clothes, what we come that's comfortable. I'll give you a good, a good example right now. We're about to have our Christmas adult party, and the attire is after five. You know, most people after five, semi-formal. But they don't think in terms of the uniform. I think that to me, after five, if we that meant to us, for the men to wear the uniform again, it would really signify what it started out to be as an intellectual gentleman. It just says something significant to me. When we started the conversation, we talked a little bit about segregation and racism in Tacoma. The cab began, in the, or the inception of it was in the late 50s, definitely before civil rights. And there was a national trend, right? There was, in Seattle, there was the Royal Esquire Club, Seattle's Black and Tan Club. There is the Arch Social Club in Baltimore, Frogs in Pittsburgh. So this was a trend going back probably much longer than the 1950s in different cities. So what are the memories for the older members? It would be great to share because for people that are not African-American in particular or who have this memory going back, it may not be so obvious the necessity of forming a club like this. 
I think one of the things that make us more proud than anything is that it's our club. We're not renting it. We're not renting the property. This is our club. We've purchased it. So it has some more of a feeling of ownership. You know, you know, can't take this away from us. This is ours. So with redlining, obviously, where there was specific policy set up on a federal level and in the banking industry to prevent black people from ownership, it's especially important, particularly you roll back to the 1950s. Well, Hilltop was redlined. That's, we were in the redline. That's, that's all that we were up there. So, you know, we weren't allowed much of any place else. But most of the places that people lived in were what people were renting. You know, it wasn't theirs. This is ours. Mm. I think in the significance of what you're saying and you're naming the clubs in Baltimore, um, the Esquire Club, the Cavaliers Club, it really gave people a place to go. You know, they, they, these, these places really were formed because people of color could not go and go downtown. So we had to, you know, how did we, how do we find a way to interact? How do we find a way to congregate? How do we find a way to celebrate? Um, and one of the things that we discussed that is really important, it gave us a way to connect to the next community, just a brother-sister relationship with the Esquire Club. They used to play baseball in the summer against each other. These type things, they had a trophy and whoever won the game got to keep the trophy. Um, we used to really get together on the anniversaries, you know, the picnics, those things. So it really, it gave the people in the community a place to go because they had nowhere to go. But also it identified if they was traveling where they could stop. You know, they knew it was another safe place. If we were going to Canada, hey, or somewhere north of Seattle, we know that the Esquire Club was there. Um, Mr. Burke, Gerald Burke, thank you. He's a he's a go-kart member. He's a lawyer out of Tacoma. He talks to me all the time. He, re, he said, Tim, you really reminds me of this uh, guy that used to run a cotton club in Portland, which was another place. He said, you're, you're, you're in here. You're working. You, you, you like you're trying to learn everything about the business. you got a savviness about yourself. You talk to everybody. You're shaking their hands. And this is what we need to do to rebuild this place, to let it be a friendly place. And we also want people to understand that it's just not just black because a lot of the members, like the veterans, they had Asian wives or German wives. So we still had other nationalities inside the club. It's just that it got started because we couldn't go anywhere. You know, so even right now we have members that are Caucasian. If you were there on Sunday, you would have seen quite a few people that just wasn't black. And everybody was comfortable. Uh, on Saturday night, it was Quite a few variations of people in there, Asian, Caucasian. So we're just not that way. We are a very, very diverse place in Tacoma. So this place, because of the military, inclusion is important at the Capilleros, even though it started out because we didn't have a place to go. Inclusion is important. And I know a lot of people don't know that, but it is true because we don't exclude. We started out black, but we embrace everyone. And I think that's a unique part of us that people don't understand. And if I had to go away from this podcast, that would be one of the things I want people to understand, that we do include others and we embrace others. So the military is a big factor. That's why my parents wound up, you know, yes. my father came. Yes. Um, but the military also had segregation, even though, you know, everyone was supposed to fight and die. I believe that there was exclusion, in, at least in the social world in Fort Lewis. So that was no different. And, you know, they were, they were encouraged 
not to go downtown. The, the military on base was, if you were going to Tacoma, don't go downtown. They were told that. Well, one of the things that I loved and remember when I went to the cab was there was like a poster from the Obama election night. So how was that election night celebrated at the cab? It was emotional. I don't even know how to explain it, but there was tears. Mm. You know, um, something that we never thought we would see in our lifetime. The first African-American president of the United States. And it was just a very emotional event. Everybody was cheering and running around and hugging. And it was very euphoric. It's a word I think I was thinking about. That Senator Barack Obama of Illinois will be the next president of the United States. He defeats John McCain, the senator from So another uh, theme that actually Tim and I talked earlier about was networking. That the cab has been, it's a place, right, that is owned by the community of members but it's also a place that can be a launching pad for people into careers, into success in life, in other endeavors. And you mentioned Dr. Cynthia Jones, who is a dentist. Um, but I was wondering if you can elaborate on the networking opportunities that occur having a place like this. Dr. Jones was one of the first ladies elected to be a member of the Caballeros back in 1994. She's also... <laughs> One of the ladies that threatened to sue the Cavaliers because they weren't allowing ladies. They just only allowed them to have the auxiliary, which the auxiliary did not have the rights to vote. They, The ladies wanted the right to vote. And Dr. Jones, being a dentist at the time, female, new to the area, just starting a business, she told me that the Cavaliers really allowed her business to thrive once really becoming into the auxiliary, becoming a member her business just grew through the Caballeros. At the time, back then, the Caballeros had like two, over 200 members. I mean, if you were here in, in the 80s, and it was only the Caballeros, you know? So her being a member and them allowing her to come on board, allowing ladies, it was almost groundbreaking. She said her business would have never made it if it wasn't for the Caballeros. And I got to say this, I'm really proud of Dr. Jones and the ladies for fighting for that. I think some of the men beg to differ, but... Um, the Lady Auxiliary was the brainchild. So they brought back a lot of girth to the club. And the Auxiliary, from what I understand, was making quite a bit of money. And so they really started outdoing the men, to be truthful. They really did. They just started outworking them. And I believe within that 89 to 94, that's five years. Within those five years, the grounds that they had gained and the money that they had built through the Auxiliary, to be quite as kept, I believe the Auxiliary kind of like had quite a bit of change in they were using it to help support the cab, but they didn't have the rights. <laughs> so Dr. Jones wasn't going for that. <laughs> she wasn't going for that. And I thank her for fighting for that because right now when I joined the club, it was Miss Bunny, it was Miss Lola who really ushered me in and really got me to understand the importance of the history. And that's why I'm there, the history. So there's also a lot of fun stuff that happens at the cab. So you can kind of walk us through during the week, during the weekends, uh, evenings. Oh what are God, all the fun things that are awesome? <laughs> Every Tuesday, we have what we call an open mic. And we have a live band. It's called the Cavaliers Four. They come down and they bring in a host who, who's there to introduce. Uh, I recommend people who want to partake in this event. They play jazz or blues or whatever it is you want to hear. And it's sort of like a karaoke, 
but only this is with a live band. And we do that every Tuesday. And then every Thursday, we have a karaoke. We have uh, two gentlemen who are our local karaoke experts. And uh, 99% of the people, don't, don't put my names, can't sing. But they're having a good time. And then you have a couple percent of people who really can sing. And it's like, whoa, they sound really good. But it's all in fun. And so everybody, they come down and they have a good time. And then Friday and Saturday, we're open for coming out and enjoying your spouse or whatever and have DJs that uh, play on Friday and Saturday. And we have kids' parties. You know, people want to come in like on a Saturday afternoon and, and have a birthday party for their kids, five, six, seven, eight or whatever, you know. So we're hoping that they'll remember some of this stuff and say, oh, yeah, I had my party down there when I was 10. I think I might go see how, what it's all about. So it, it's, all, it's all in fun. Also, game night. Game night is oh, Thursday night. Uh, doing karaoke. So, uh, yeah, how could you forget? That's your favorite. That's her. That's the manager's favorite night. She loves to play cards. <laughs> but I, I think about domino games and uh, they playing the little uh, bid whiz. You know, it's a lot of trash talking during that time. And um, mm-hmm. to see the losers get up, <laughs> it's always funny to see the losers' face. <laughs> you know, so... Uh, I think that is uh, definitely one of those things that keeps people coming back all the time. And also while we're doing game night on Thursday, of course, it's football and we have sports on the TV and that type of camaraderie. To me, uh, think about the trash talking. So even if it's not about dominoes or cars, you have the people like the Uncle Terry's, who's a member. You have the people like Tango Ray, the trash talk is forever going on. You know, when we joined the club, we really thought it was going to be this gentleman's club where people, you know, we were kind of like being really all about business and all this. And then you turn around here, you go in the corner there over here talking and cracking jokes. So it's really, it's a lot of camaraderie there. Anyone could come and enjoy themselves. A lot of times the age group is really like 35 and older, but I'm telling you, it is a great place to be fun. We have the kitchen open. Mm -hmm. So, you know. What, what better place to be if you're a member or if you're not a member, get invited. I want to tell you a story about Tangeray. And, this, and this, is, this is a true story. And it was back in the days when I was a, a waitress on the floor, uh, you know, down on the floor. This, this guy would come in, and he ordered this drink called Tangeray and Milk. And I used to like, ooh. And so when every time he ordered it, Tangeray and Milk, Tangeray and Milk. And so when I get to, got to see him more, I said, oh, that's the guy that drinks Tangeray and Milk. And then it got to be, that's Tangeray. <laughs> and the name just stuck. And that's been over 20 years ago, and, and uh, his name is Tang. A lot of people don't even know what his real name is. They just know Tang Ray, you know? <laughs> so the cab has accounts among its membership, many notable people in the civics and business and so forth. And I was wondering if we could kind of walk through some of those people and their membership and then also their role in Tacoma, particularly for our listeners who are not from Tacoma. One of those would be Willie Stewart, 
who was a colleague of my father's. Yes, yes. And very instrumental. You know, Mr. Stewart was down there uh, for our anniversary. He was there. He drops in from time to time. He's always still very smiley and jolly to be talking to, very knowledgeable, and always offering advice. And I think that Mr. Stewart came also from the military. You know, yes. he relocated yes. to Tacoma yes, mm-hmm. for that. Also, uh, the late Harold Moss. Harold Moss. He was a member. Mayor. Mayor. Mm-hmm. Um, the first uh, city manager, black city manager, Mr. Jim Walden, who's a Gold Card member, still there often. We sat together at the Evergreen um, fundraiser. Mm-hmm. He was there, I believe, for the police chief on Sunday. Um, oh, also, we just recently have the new police chief and the new uh, assistant. deputy assistant. They just joined the club. Oh. Um, Victoria Woodard, the mayor, she was a member before. Virginia Taylor, who was the publisher of the first Tacoma Facts, she uh, she was a, a member there. Can you share what the facts were and why oh, they were it's, so it's important? It's a local, uh, Tacoma local newspaper uh, that uh, focused on African-American businesses, restaurants, events that are going and coming. And um, we still have the facts, but it's not as prominent as it was when Virginia was, was taking it over, but uh, it's, it's still going. But she was the very first publisher of that uh, newspaper. Let's talk about COVID. Um, Tim and I were talking a little bit about the last few years haven't been easy for a lot of communities, but also for, you know, this one. Can you share a little bit about the role that the club has played for families, members and non-members during this time? As we all know, there was a lot of deaths through COVID, you know, a lot of illness. And one of the things that the club really stepped up and was a great fortress for families that didn't have a place to convene, um, for families coming out of town to uh, when it was burying people, they didn't have a place to have a gathering. So because the club is a unique private club and it would, could allow people to have families and be private other than being in a public place where the numbers were decreased, we had it set up to where families could come in, that families from out of town could actually come into our club. It was closed off to the public. It was actually a private event, and they could really have what we call repasses. They could congregate after the funeral, share memories, talk about the person that passed away. And we were very instrumental to a lot of what I would say is guests because we take her off our own, but for people that could not have this time to have closure or celebrate the life of their family, we were a refuge for that. And I mean, we were doing quite a bit of these repasses for people th- all throughout Tacoma. Mm-hmm. And um, the club, to me, during that time, I mean, I watched these families, and I can see it right now how thankful they were because, like, the churches wouldn't allow it, and because of rightfully so, because of COVID. It was open to the public, but our place was private, and it allowed us to have a list of names so we knew exactly who was going to be there. It was within the guidelines of what COVID had set forth through the city and the federal. So I don't know what people would have done, how they would have went about it. I'm pretty sure they would have found out a way to stand outside, but that building housed quite a few families during the restricted time of COVID. Mm-hmm.
One of the biggest events that we would have down there for the kids was the Christmas party. And like every year, um, the longshoremen would donate a bunch of bicycles and stuff. And that was a really big event every year. So when COVID came and we couldn't do it, but we still wanted to do something for the kids. So we chose just a couple families. We wouldn't allow them into the club, but we would, we would have them like pull up to our front and we would welcome them one family at a time and give some stuff to the, some presents and stuff to the kids. And, and they all appreciated it. But it wasn't like we used to do with the families. So this year, we're, we're able to get back to open it up and having the kids and, the fa and their parents and stuff come down and, and have the gifts and stuff for the kids. So I'm really looking forward to working with our entertainment committee to who's putting this on. So I understand that gifts are not necessarily to the kids of members, but it's to community members. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the outreach and who is included? And You know, the cab is comprised of uh, volunteers also. Um, we don't have a lot of paid employees, so we definitely try to help the people that volunteer their service for us. Mm -hmm. So what we do also is we, I guess, we let them know that we're looking for needy families. So we basically mm -hmm. play social work is what we really do, outreach. So anyone that we come into uh, the word that we know that they need something, what we do is we get their information, we contact the family, we find out the ages of their kids, how many kids they have, and how we can assist them. So usually what happens is our entertainment committees, the people who are responsible for those direct lines, once we get into there and find out what the size of the family, the ages of the kids, we then take our resources and like a lot of time people are bringing in bikes, they're bringing in books, they're bringing in all kinds of things. So we start to take those resources and apply them to the age groups that we already have and things that we don't have. In the end, as we arrive closer to the day of the giving, we just go out and purchase them with, with the cap resources from the members because, you know, we want the families to have something. And then like, let's just say if we don't get some of the resources, what we do is we give gift cards so that the families can also go out and purchase things. And sometimes in some of these cases, we give both. We give some of the things that they're requesting for age appropriate, and we still give a 50 or $100 or $200 gift card because we still want the families to be able, I think it's important for moms and dads to also be able to shop and get some of the things that they want as well. So we really try to listen to what the family needs and their requests are and then apply our resources appropriately. We asked our guests to share a place in the Pacific Northwest that they care about, and I was going to ask each of you if you had one. I'm going to say the Esquire Club because the connection or the history that we've had with them over the years. We would really like to get back to interacting with them. One of the problems is that a lot of the people that was doing it are a lot older now. And we need some of this new membership to recultivate that. And it's a club that we're attached to, that we've had interaction with. So to me, when I think in terms of a place that I would not want to see go away, that is definitely one of them. Being from Tacoma, I, like I said, I was born and raised right across the street from McCarver. 
I woke up every morning looking at Mount Rainier, and it was no big deal because that's what I did. You know, and then so then once once you got out of school and you moved away and, and, and you did your thing and you came back, you really can't afford to buy a place looking at Mount Rainier. So um, the Caballeros Club is my home, away from home, and I just love it. I love it when I can sit out on a clear day and see the mountain. It brings back memories from when I was a kid. I can remember uh, driving around and sometimes, look at the mountain, isn't it so beautiful today? And this particular person I would be in the car with and say, you grew up seeing that mountain every year. I said, and I never get tired of it. I just love it. And on a clear day when, when we're at the club and we're sitting outside and the mountain is, is sitting there, I just love it. And, and, and if anything would ever happen to the club, knock on wood, that it doesn't, I would miss that more than anything. I really would. What are you most proud of in terms of your involvement and role at the club? I would say is the fact that it's still here. And uh, I'm, I'm proud of the fact that um, I have been part of the club for all these years. And, and I, I can remember um, some of the people who used to say they used to, like, sneak in when they weren't quite 21. And, and now they're, like, 40 or something like that. And, and their kids are coming around. And, and, and I would love to just see the, the cab continue on. The fact that some of these, these kids start young and they're growing up, I want them to, to respect the fact that we have this club here and that we're here for them. And if there's something that they need, they know that they can come and talk to us. I think that's uh, what makes me feel good to the fact that someone would want to come and talk to us about, yeah, I used to come here a long time ago, and and, and my parents were members. And you'd ask, well, who what's your parents? And, and they mentioned somebody, like, oh, my goodness, I remember them, you know, stuff like that. So it's support. It's support, yeah. Yeah. For me... <laughs> My greatest involvement at the club is, is just is service. You know, mm-hmm. um, I want to be an example of what it is to serve. For the Caballeros, my greatest thing is the history and, and, and giving service. And I want other people to understand that it needs service, that it needs us to give back to it. That's the only way mm-hmm. that it can live. Um, and the only way to give life is to, and like you're leading to, I have a 20-year, I have a 10-year, I have a 5-year plan. My 20-year plan is to invest in youth right now. And we invest in youth right now. The kids that are 9, 10, and 20 years, they're going to be 30. Hopefully at 30, they've been graduated from college. Maybe some of them went off into the military. Maybe some are coming back or whatever. But they'll be thinking about the times, the Halloween, the Christmases, the scholarship giveaway. So we start investing in kids right now by doing more things today. 20 years from now, those kids are going to give back. My 10-year plan is to invest into the community. If we invest into the community right now, starting interacting with blacks in government, the Elks, the Esquire, any organization that's about community involvement. We'll partner with anyone. So when we're talking about the community, if we start doing those things 10 years from now, before 10 years from now, the name of the Caballeros will be more prevalent. There's still a lot of people, younger people, new people to this area that don't know what the Caballeros Club is. The other thing is 
My five-year plan is to invest in the infrastructure, the building. We've done new flooring in the kitchen. We bought new appliances, um, ice machines, all kinds of stuff that the club has not seen brand new in probably 20 years. So I will, those are my plans, the 20-year, the 10-year, the 5-year, and we're sticking to some. We're really actually cutting and breaking grounds on those things. So I'm excited about that, and, and if I'm so fortunate to be reelected, I just see these things continuing. So for our listeners who are membership may not be, you know, in their future, but want to learn a little bit about the club, there is a possibility of actually going there, going to the parking lot and actually enjoying that view of Mount Rainier. And I understand people do that all the time, right? That are not members that you see people in the lot there. Yes. So as far as the view, I would say, you know, anyone that will really, for our listeners, that would really like to get an opportunity to get the view, we're located at 1516 South 28th Street, Tacoma, Washington, 98409. Please drive up on the north side of the parking lot. And you can see on a great day when there's no clouds, you can enjoy the view of Mount Rainier. Also, the highway. We don't talk about that, but I'm telling you, if you're sitting on the patio, you're up in that area, seeing the cars drive by at nighttime, I'm telling you, it is it's serenity. It's serenity. You know, and um, one of the things that we talk about, turning the flat part of the roof into a, a deck, it's going to be hard to beat people away from there after a while because the sight of the highway, the sight of the, of the mountain, is just overwhelming. And you just don't want to leave if the weather is right. <laughs> and along those lines, if the address doesn't jump out at you, the 1516 South 28th, we're on the dead end of Cushman. So if you go down Cushman, you go down until you can't go any further and you run right into the Cavaliers Club. It's a very special place because it does sit on, above a cliff. And then when you're coming through over Nally Valley on the freeway. Having been to the that spot once, you'll never miss it again because it's a very iconic building. You see it right there, and it is front row center. The view is what a lot of people come, the, the guests, that's what they, they want to see it. Well, thank you very much, Tim and Miss Ellen, for being our guest today and sharing stories of Ray Gibson, Cavaleros Club. Very well said. Thank you for having us. We're really, truly blessed and excited for this. We love talking about the Cavaleros Club. It means a lot to us. And so we really appreciate you. Join us next time for a conversation with geologist historian David B. Williams. David has spent a lifetime exploring the physical places that define the Pacific Northwest, our mountain ranges, peaks, rivers, and valleys. David's nine books have been published by the University of Washington Press. And one of my favorites explains where the rocks and stones that make up our cities originally came from. He's also got a great walking guide to Seattle. David's perspective will transform the way you experience our landscape, as many of our most picturesque places came to look this way only after incredible force, violence, and power, mostly geological, but also human-made. And what is most remarkable is that these places are still undergoing transformation. If only we had the eyes to see it. Our next episode will make this happen. Thanks for joining us today. Audio engineering by Daniel Gunther. Photography by Brandon Williams, administrative support from Mary Barbour, and theme music written by Toma Nakayama and performed by Grant Hallway, with additional music written by Andrew Weathers, as well as by Ryan Love and performed by Fox Hunt. Special thanks in this episode goes out to the Henry Foss High School Class of 82 Reunion Committee, 
who changed a contentious conversation about racism into an opportunity to experience one of Tacoma's most special places. With special gratitude to Cam Coughlin and Sharon Judy. Our love also goes out to Ms. Bonnie Pinckney and especially to Ms. Lola Bailey, two of the Cab Club's most senior members. We record on Coast Salish land at the Jack Straw Cultural Center in Seattle's University District. I'm Edward Krigsman, and you've been listening to Power of Place, Stories of the Pacific Northwest. If you've enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review or subscribe to us. And if you know of a place in the Pacific Northwest that matters to you, please let us know. We'd love to share your stories.